Welcome to the Head to Heal podcast, where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of the Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology, and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness, and most, if not all, disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Welcome to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm so excited that you guys are here because we are going to talk about an issue today that I have been dealing with a lot through pregnancy and it was driving me absolutely crazy and I really had to return to the basics and implement some of the basic kind of health regimes around digestion to improve my bowel movement. So today we're going to talk about constipation. So the first thing I want to say about constipation is that I believe that people have a little bit of a misconception about what constipation truly is. So, you know, some people, I, whenever you work with me, you fill out an intake form. And one of the questions on the intake form is how often are you going to the bathroom? Are you going to the bathroom at least once a day? And technically going to the bathroom once a day would gear more towards on the side of constipation. Even if those stools are looser and they're not hard or um, they formed into balls, it would still be considered constipation because we should really be going to the bathroom up to three times a day. Now, I personally do not consider going to the bathroom once a day constipation. I think that in the unfortunately in the world that we live in right now with a standard America diet, once a day is great, twice a day is awesome, three times a day is perfect as long as it's not diarrhea, and anything less than that is severe constipation. So I've had some clients come to me and say, you know, they go a couple of times a week, and I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys here. Uh, for about two weeks uh, during this pregnancy, I did not go to the bathroom and I had to go to the doctor and it was just like such a nightmare. So my history with constipation actually begins when I was a lot younger. So I remember being uh, young as a child and holding in my bowel movements. I would be playing in my basement and I would hold them in and I just, I wouldn't want to go to the bathroom. And I remember this from such a young age and my son actually also deals with constipation issues. And so when we went to see a pediatrician about it, the pediatrician had said that, you know, if he has harder stools, then it's going to hurt to push. And then from a young age, you learn to hold it in versus just going to the bathroom when nature calls because you don't want to go through that pain. And so I'm just going to assume that that's kind of where it originated for me. I believe that it probably was painful. So I just kind of learned to help hold it in, which led to hemorrhoids. So when I was eight years old, I was at camp. I, I went to overnight camp when I was younger and I ended up being a camp counselor there. And when I was eight years old, I didn't go to the bathroom for the whole time I was at camp. And it was so awful because by the end of, it was almost coming to the end of the two weeks, I went to go see the nurse and I asked for a laxative and my stomach hurt so much. I had to go to the doctor, I had to go to the hospital. Um, and I remember just like being in that hospital room and they gave me a painkiller because I was in so much pain. And I woke up to this like beautiful Grey's Anatomy looking doctor and he's like putting on a glove and he's like, well, this is going to be uncomfortable. And I was like, fuck. Um, so anyways, he obviously had to give me a, a suppository and this, this kind of habit, this, this inconsistent bowel movements geared more towards the side of constipation 
continued throughout a lot of my adult life until I really became a nutritionist and became super regular. So when I got pregnant and constipation started again, I was really upset to see this because I had worked so hard on making my bowels consistent. Now, there are two reasons why this happens during pregnancy. So for me, I know for sure one of them was just reintroducing some foods that I typically don't eat. So during pregnancy, I have been eating a lot more of the cheeses, the breads, like not in excess, but more than almost never, which is what was happening before pregnancy. Because I do know that these inflammatory foods can cause issues like inflammation in my bowels, which is going to affect my hemorrhoids and lead to constipation. So part of it is that. And then the other part of it is during pregnancy, progesterone is increased and progesterone really does slow slow the digestive system down. So I had two things kind of working against me here, but I'm not here to talk to you about pregnancy and constipation. Although with pregnancy, it's a bit different because you can't take laxatives. Like most of the laxatives, enemas, colonics can all induce labor or harm the baby. So I was really stuck in between a rock and a hard place. It was quite shitty, no pun intended, but let's just talk about constipation in a general sense now, huh? So when we have constipation, we really want to understand the mechanism of the digestive system. So if you haven't listened to my episode on digestion, I'm going to reroute you there now. But essentially we eat food, it goes into our stomach. And then once it reaches, reaches a certain pH, it goes into the duodenum and the small intestines. And the small intestines job is to really extract like nutrients and, um, turn the food into something that's a, like a little bit, like take what the good parts of it and then leave the rest essentially. So once it gets into the large intestine or the colon, so we have the ascending a colon, transcending, and then the descending a colon, and then we have the anus. So most hemorrhoids can happen, right? They can be internal. So they can be right at the top of the anus, which is where mine are, or, or you can have external hemorrhoids, which kind of actually come out of the, the butthole. And those ones are a lot more visible and those ones are kind of scary to see. So I've never actually had the external ones. I only have the internal ones. And I don't know which one is better to be honest, but the internal ones are really hard because it's, you can't really do much about it. Like most of the suppositories aren't going to get up that high. So anyways, the small intestine's job is to take the important things and kind of leave the rest. And then in the large intestine, the large intestine's job is to reabsorb some of the water. So we're kind of rehydrating, reabsorbing electrolytes. Um, We're converting some important nutrients, mostly the B vitamins in the large intestine. And then we are getting rid of the waste. So So fun fact, we can hold up to, and if actually there have been cases where there's been more, up to 20 pounds of fecal matter just in our colon. So that's not even including the small intestine. Because if we were to actually iron out our intestines, it would be as big as an entire tennis tennis court. So we have have like 25 feet and, and so much surface area of intestines inside our body. And it's just kind of twirled up in there, but we can actually hold quite a bit of fecal matter. So a lot of the times when I have people who are struggling with weight loss, who have stubborn weight, like first we tackle digestion, because if there isn't that appropriate exchange of waste and nutrients happening, then it's going to be really hard to lose weight. So you can have up to 20 pounds of fecal matter inside of your colon. There's actually a really recent study, um, not study, but there's a really recent report that was on the news where somebody had 28 pounds of fecal matter in a specific part of their colon and they had to have it removed. And it, it was just crazy to see. Like I have never seen anything like that, but obviously at that point it's quite toxic. And there is a very important reason that we get rid of the waste because if we don't get rid of them, our, our intestinal walls are permeable, right? They absorb things. That's the 
their job. So if we don't get rid of the waste, we typically reabsorb the toxins and then we develop a very toxic environment, which kind of breeds new pathogens. So this is like, it's really important to go to the bathroom, long story short. And I want to talk today about some of the helpful remedies that we can use that can be, you know, over the counter, just like really quick things that you don't need a prescription for to help prevent constipation and help you become more regular. So the first two things we need to understand here is that in order to go to the bathroom, like our whole digestive tract, our our small intestines and large intestines work on something called peristalsis. So peristalsis is like this big muscle that kind of squeezes, it contracts and it relaxes, it contracts and relaxes. And this peristalsis is going to squeeze out the fecal matter all the way to the end. So some people have lazy bowels, which means that the peristalsis is isn't working properly. And there's actually a syndrome where um, certain people can have missing nerve endings in their bowels so that they don't actually contract and relax as often as they would need to. So in that case, we would actually need medical intervention to help release the bowels, which is what happened with this guy on the news who had 28 pounds of fecal matter inside of his digestive tract. But those are rare cases. So in all in all, we need peristalsis to happen. So in order for that to happen, the two most important nutrients here are magnesium and vitamin C. So if you're somebody who's struggled with constipation and you've spoken to somebody like potentially a natural naturopath or a nutritionist, they might have recommended magnesium. Magnesium is an incredible um, nutrient that helps to relax many areas of the body. So magnesium citrate is best for the bowels. So if you have heard, and maybe somebody has told you to take magnesium oxide, please don't do that. Magnesium oxide is the cheapest form of magnesium. It's not absorbable at all. And technically we don't need to absorb it if we're kind of um, asking our bowels to release, but magnesium is an important nutrient that we do want, right? So citrate is my more preferred version of a, of magnesium that will help to relax the bowels. And then we need the vitamin C for that contraction, um, action. So we need magnesium and vitamin C, and we also need fiber and water. So this is like basic bare minimum, minimum. This is one of the reasons why the standard American diet is so shitty, no pun intended, for digestive systems, because it's so void of proper insoluble fibers, and also it's void of, of nutrients in general. So most people are deficient in magnesium. It's not in our soil anymore. Vitamin C runs through the body. Um, it's a water-soluble vitamin, so it runs through the body very quickly. Um, so if you are supplementing with vitamin C, you would technically need to supplement every four hours, unless you're taking it in a liposomal form, which means it's attached to a fat and the fiber and water. I mean, like these are, these are basics, but they're really important. So one of the things that I've obviously had to do, I went to go see my doctor in pregnancy. I'm like, listen, lady, haven't shit in two weeks. need some help. My back's killing me. And she's like, Oh, let me talk to the pharmacist. I was like, okay, I guess if you she didn't know what to do really. So she contacted the pharmacist to see what I could take. And the pharmacist said Metamucil, which is essentially just like a fibrous cereal. Um, so I was pretty disheartened to hear that because I do include a lot of fiber in my diet, but, um, because of the progesterone in pregnancy, we actually are also quite a bit dehydrated. So I really had to up my water and my fiber, and that was really helpful in helping to create more consistent bowels. 
The next thing I want you guys to consider is not eating inflammatory foods or taking, eliminating inflammatory foods from your diet. So I'm going to talk to you about like the top five inflammatory foods so that we aren't here all day. But the first one would be corn. So corn, like I do, I do food intolerance tests for all of my clients. And these are the ones that I see most frequently. And these are just also the ones that have the most research back behind it. So corn is a huge one. Um, so that includes like popcorn and tortillas. <laughs> so all corn products, even the ones that say non GMO. However, non-GMO is, is significantly less inflammatory. Dairy, all dairy products. I've talked about why dairy is so detrimental for the body before, but um, essentially we are the only species to drink another species milk. It is totally unnatural. And, and the way that we process dairy right now is so harmful for the molecules within the, the milk or the butter. We basically have to feed the cows hormones so that they're producing milk for the majority of their life. Because most people don't know this, but cows are not, they're, cows are only designed to produce milk after they have babies, just like humans. And so you wouldn't see a cat milking a cow or a pig. So we should not be drinking another species milk. Long story short, it's full of hormones, um, which are pro-inflammatory. And at this point, all of the molecules have been denatured just by the volume that we have to process these foods. So corn, dairy, gluten. I have some people in my, in my practice who are celiac, but when they go to like France and Italy, they can still, they can eat the pasta, which I think is pretty incredible. And it really speaks to the way that we process the foods here. And a lot of this has to do, to do with the pesticides that we put on those foods and then just how we process the grains. So, uh, gluten would be another one. Sugar, sugar is a huge one. It's extremely pro-inflammatory. And then one of the other ones that's often not considered is damaged oils. So again, these are oils like vegetable oils that are processed that are um, highly denatured, like due to oxygen exposure, light exposure. And uh, so for an example of one would be like canola oil or vegetable oil and any type of oil that is really light in color. I'm a big fan of olive oil, but I mean, I'm Italian, so I, I might be biased there, but there's a lot of information pro and against it. And I, I believe if it's like extra virgin and it's, it's processed very in a clean way and it's in a dark bottle, then it's totally fine. And, and healthy oils can be really important for regulating these inflammatory levels. So if you're somebody who has hemorrhoids, then that's, that means your veins, your portal vein is very inflamed, right? It's the same thing as having like varicose veins on the outside of your body, but you have it inside. So there's an issue with blood flow and circulation. And one of the things that can help to bring down that blood flow, like to normalize that blood flow and reduce the inflammation is healthy fats. So we definitely want to include the healthy fats in the diet. So like the fish oils, but we want to avoid any of the inflammatory oils. So all of the fats live on the prostaglandin chart and it just depends on if it's pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. And we get a lot of pro-inflammatory oils in our, in our diet, like the canola oils, the sunflower oil, safflower oil, etc. And so we need to kind of balance those out with a fish oil or avocado or nuts and seeds and um, specifically ones that aren't rancid yet. Here we're really looking at the omega-3s. So the omega-3 is naturally anti-inflammatory. So we have DHA and EPA in omega-3. You might see like, oh, it's 200 milligrams of DHA or 1,000 milligrams of EPA. So the EPA is anti-inflammatory and the DHA is related to like nerve development and brain health, brain and eyes. So we definitely want a high EPA if we're dealing with like inf inflammation in the body and uh, clogged circulation. The next thing I want you guys to consider are, from an emotional perspective, holding in your toxins 
often means that we are holding on to our emotions and we are not expressing our emotions properly. And I find that, especially in the binge eating world where most of my clients come from, they have a lot, they have a, a, there's a lot of consistency with them in fixing their feelings instead of feeling their feelings. So they'll fix their feelings by eating food or distracting themselves or binge watching Netflix or engaging in substance abuse, but they're not really actually feeling their feelings. So from an energetic perspective, if you're somebody who deals with constipation, you might want to start to internally think about like, where am I not expressing myself? Where don't I have a voice? What am I neglecting about myself? And how can I like let my true self come out essentially? The next thing I want you to consider is understanding the role that stress plays in, in our bowel movements and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sign or the signal to go to the washroom is an autonomic response. We don't have to think about it. We aren't sitting there thinking like, I should pee in one minute or, and now the digestive, now the urine is going through the kidneys or now my food is going through the bowels. We don't have to think about that for a good reason because it would take all day. So the, these automatic responses come from the autonomic nervous system, which lives in the parasympathetic nervous system and stress really affects the parasympathetic nervous system. So our our signal to engage in peristalsis is halted or inhibited by stress, by high cortisol. So if you're somebody who deals with constipation, you might have noticed that when you're in stressful situations, you don't go to the bathroom. For me, if I wake up and don't go to the bathroom first thing in the morning, if I like leave my house and I engage in the day to day, I won't go all day. It won't come naturally because I'm, I'm stressed. Like I'm engaging in the world. I don't feel relaxed. I'm not in my zone. So everybody has their own ways of dealing with it. I'm sure if you're somebody who has who is constipated, you have your own kind of rhythm by now, but mainly we want to really recognize stress and then mitigate external stresses from our life. Here are some remedies that you guys can implement that are like over the counter or um, at home that will help to get the bowels moving consistently. So I already talked about magnesium citrate specifically and vitamin C, fiber and water. Okay. Another really good habit to get into is first thing in the morning, drinking hot water with lemon, which is going to alkalize the body and putting a little bit of apple cider vinegar and a little bit of salt. So a pinch of salt, salt attracts water, right? So we want, we need water in the digestive system to push the bowels through. So we want a little pinch of salt. It doesn't have to be too salty, but salt is also going to give you the electrolytes. So it should be sea salt or Himalayan salt. But having this kind of hot water mixture in the morning really helps to alkalize the body and get that digestive system going. So this is my go-to drink every morning I have it. When I don't have it, I really notice. And then the other thing that you can do is uh, the magnesium citrate or magnesium hydroxide. So if you're somebody who's been consistently constipated for like a couple of months, I would recommend doing a bowel cleanse. And there's only one bowel cleanse I recommend uh, because this bowel cleanse is actually going to retrain the bowels how to function properly. So most of the time when we're taking laxatives or we do enemas or colonics, we actually are... um, it's not beneficial for the digestive system all the time because it can make our digestive system lazy. We do not want lazy bowels. We want peristalsis to function on its own. So using this specific bowel cleanse, it can help to retrain the bowels to function properly and improve peristalsis versus taking that away. So I would recommend doing it for about six weeks to eight weeks. And if you're interested in this, just send me an email or shoot me like message me on Instagram or one of my social media accounts. And I can definitely hook you up with this, but the it mainly just uses magnesium hydroxide. 
which means that it's going to oxygenate the bowels and it's going to pull fecal matter from the intestinal wall. So when I have clients doing this detox, this bowel detox, after like five days, the stools are going to be loose when you, when you do this, by the way, but after five days, we start to see like really black fecal matter. And this is because like that's fecal matter that's been putrefied and stuck to the intestinal wall for long periods of time. And the problem when we have this fecal matter stuck to the intestinal wall is yes, we reabsorb the toxins, but we also reabsorb hormones. So this is when we really start to see hormonal imbalances as well. So estrogen dominance or low testosterone, et cetera. The next thing would just be to remove those inflammatory foods. And I've already talked in length about which ones those are. So just slowly kind of remove them from the, your diet and you might, you'll definitely see a difference. And then the final thing would be to add aloe into your diet. So there's these aloe drinks that you can buy. Like you can get the aloe, um, with it's the inner and the outer that I like, but I would put that like a little tea, teaspoon or tablespoon of that in the hot water in the morning. And it's really helpful for getting those bowels moving aloe in itself. Like if you have an aloe plant and you were to just just like eat it, you would have like severe diarrhea. It's a, a huge laxative. So you want to be very careful. And that's why I don't recommend just getting the plant and trying to figure it out yourself. I recommend actually going to the store and getting like the aloe drink that is like specified for, um, for going to the washroom and for healing the, the digestive system, because it's like this jelly too. So it's also going to help to heal that intestinal wall. So if you're somebody who's dealing with leaky gut, which is another reason why you might have a constipation, then, um, aloe would be a really good remedy. And just so you know, having constipation for up to three days is going to lead to leaky gut. So when we talk about leaky gut, and again, you can, I'll direct you to the digestive, uh, the digestion episode, leaky gut is such a disaster and will lead to things like autoimmune disorders and digestion issues and, and stubborn weight, et cetera. So we want to avoid any of that. And so if you're somebody who has constipation, we want really want to make sure we're implementing some of these natural remedies to help you go daily if not more than once a day. Everything else I would say you talk to a practitioner about. So there are other things that I would use in my practice, but I would definitely want to do an intake with you. Like if we were going to be using specific herbs or, you know, um, rhubarb or slippery elm or any of those herbs that are going to help the, dig the digestive system to flow a bit better, I would want to do a one-on-one -on -one consult just because there are contraindications. But from everything that I've mentioned, they're pretty safe and they're things that you can implement right now. Okay, guys, I really hope that you guys like this little mini constipation episode. There's going to be lots more of these coming in 2022, focusing on health, uh, because I really want to give you guys a really well-rounded perspective of how the body and mind work together to either feed or fight disease. Okay. So some fun things coming up. There's, it is still not too late to sign up for the detox. So, um, this would, this is an eight week detox. If you're somebody who's dealing with constipation, this is a really good place to start. There's a bowel mover inside the detox, or if you're somebody who wants to try the magnesium hydroxide, this would be a good opportunity to have a bit of time with me so that I can personalize your protocol. So the mindful detox begins on January 17th. And then the mindful food psychology program, which is my three month program. And I I've like diluted it or um, made it compacted it into eight weeks, an eight week course also starts on January 10th. And I'm so excited about the groups that I have in that course. I just can't wait to bring you, this is like, it's kind of a dream come true for me, for me to be able to take my three month program that I, like, I, we spend so much time and effort working with, with my clients and make it accessible to more people. So not everybody has the, um, financial, 
abundance to be able to invest in the one-on-one program with me. And I totally get that. So I really wanted to make this course affordable and effective for everybody. So I'm so excited. I hope I'll see you guys there. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to message me. Don't forget to like, and subscribe, and I'll see you guys on another episode of Head to Heal.